Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Strength to be Human. This is your host and producer, Mark Anthony Rossi, a poet, author, and, of course, a genuine espouser and promoter of anything literature. I mean, that's what I do here. I love it. We're doing another interview segment with Donald Mace. Now, in this particular show, it's not only going to be another interview of Donald Mace, but also it's going to be... a I guess you could say a, a, a semi-topic about uh, romanticism. And I don't mean like romance novels, but the concept of romanticism. And so we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about some of the new developments he's had. You know, he's now a columnist with the Aerial Chart as well, the, the magazine that I run. So there's a lot of new things since almost a year that we had spoke with him. Uh, Donald, thank you very much for being on again. Hello, Mark. It's great. As everybody knows, uh, and that because I tell them this probably, uh, scheduling, it, it can be a, a grueling thing. Um, and it's always a blessing then because you never know when someone's going to finally get on. Because when you have people of goodwill who want to be on the show, there's still scheduling conflicts. There's just nothing you can do about it sometimes. Between yours, mine, the world, what are you going to do? But uh, when it happens, it happens, and we, we hope that you know the result is something that's going to educate people and maybe in a way kind of bless them. So, okay, Mark, uh, we were going to talk about the uh, the piece I wrote called, called The Romance Writer. Yes. And I think there was a lot of confusion regarding that piece, and I think that's because... People are more familiar with current, the current novels, which the romance novels, of course, which, you know, uh, sort of period romance and things of that nature. Now, what I was looking at when I wrote this piece uh, was the classical romanticism. And I think that we probably need to uh, take a look and maybe define that for some of the people so that when we move on later and actually read the piece on air, the people will understand it, okay? It's not a romance novel. It's not erotica, which I do write erotica, by the way. Uh, I think it's a fascinating subject, but it's that's not what it is. It's classical romance. And and what first I'm going to do is I go through and I'm going to define what classical romanticism is. And what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to read this directly out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So this is what classical romanticism is, a literary, artistic, and philosophical movement originating in the 18th century, characterized chiefly by a reaction against neoclassicism and an emphasis on the imagination and emotions, and marked especially in English literature by sensibility and the use of autobiographical material, an exaltation of the primitive and the common man, an appreciation of external nature, an interest interest in the remote, a predilection for melancholy, and use uh, in poetry of older verse forms. Now, cover the um, getting away from a definition. Now, 
a, a couple of the uh, the major figures in in uh, class in romanticism were Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, and so that should give you sort of an indication, anybody that's familiar with either of those two figures, of what what romanticism is. Essentially, it's it's a return to the roots of the artist, where the artist uh, explores his imagination and his feelings, and moves those and moves those into to fight to look. Art. In other words, it's an escape from neoclassicism, which was the competing at the time, and neoclassicism uh, was where people were returning to artists were returning to uh, to to sort of the, the Roman style, okay, uh, where uh, of expression where that was very. Uh, Everything was very formal, okay. And that you had your heroes, you had you 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 had your poets, you had whatever, and you stuck within a certain framework and you dealt within that. Okay, romanticism was actually the opposite of that, where you thought out of the box and you went deep in yourself, into yourself, where the artist did, and looked for ways to ex- express something new and different. That's sort of what what that was. Okay, that's that's the difference between romanticism and. And what it was competing and competing against at the time, which was neoclassicism. All right. And so, in this particular, okay, which is actually a, sil- a soliloquy, okay, uh, which is the definition now for a soliloquy. In case people don't know, uh, is an act of speaking one's thoughts aloud when by oneself or regardless of any listeners. All right. And generally, that that's a uh, no, Shakespeare would those are soliloquies. Okay, it's generally it's a it's character play or a character in literature that is that is speaking to himself or herself when nobody's actually listening. You exploring their thoughts. Yeah, like like being a father. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, when, I do a lot I, of soliloquies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I wrote this piece, uh, yeah, that's kind of where. You know, and honestly, what it was was uh, uh, it's just it's, it's basically just uh, just uh, an exploration, you know, of of my thoughts and my feelings at the time, and uh, yeah, where where kind of I guess I guess you could say where my head was at. I I love and it. I, I, I love it, of, and I'm so happy that we 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 published the aerial chart, Don. But some of the reasons that I did it were probably different than maybe even you wrote it is because I said to myself, I don't ever really recall talking about this subject very much or or, or publishing this subject very much. I know about it from an academic standpoint, but why don't we just try to push it out there and and see if it kind of like engages in people in a way that they haven't before. So I'm like, this is a, a good good chance to do so because it's not like you can ask somebody to write something about this. Either they're interested in it or not, you know. And uh, the only question I had about it, and um, I think some of the audience did too because from some of their comments is, is I think that um, sometimes they, they got mixed up about 
you know, a romance novel versus romanticism. And then sometimes, because I, I said this privately to myself, and, you know, I'm not a devil's advocate on the show. I don't believe in that sort of thing. I'd just, like, rather be open and honest. But um I wondered, and maybe you wondered too, if you had a different title with it, would that have helped people from the onset? Or, or is that just another way to, to still also say, what the heck is that? And they still got to explain it. So I, I, I don't know if there's a perfect answer to that. Yeah, I, I can explain that. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to go back real quick uh, to basically it's it's a stream of consciousness. Okay. And that's what I was going to mention earlier. But as far as the title goes, we'll come back to that. Uh, the title, I think, has to be there. Because to the whole the whole idea behind it is he is a romance writer, and a, and a romance writer classically is doing exactly what he is doing. Using it's a return to nature. It's a return to deep inner feelings. It's using nature as metaphor. It's it's pulling everything around you into something and, and and trying to make sense of it and make art out of it. And so in that sense, he, he is the romance writer. He is writing romantically, not from the standpoint of erotica or a romance novel, but he's writing from the standpoint of classical romanticism, taking everything in his world, putting it together, and trying to make people understand what he thinks, what he feels. And and that's why it's it's romance writing. Now, and it, I, I I kind of I kind of right, got right. I kind of got that maybe you had that 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 more insistent principle on why you did that, and and I'm not against it because I mean all you could do is admire that, but then also you step aside and you say uh, that means he's going to be fighting like five decades of us having this definition completely different. <laughs> you know, that's true. Uh, uh, that's very true. Yeah, people have a, have a, it's a valid, it's, it's valid what they think because it is a definition out there and actually is included in Wikipedia. When you go to Wikipedia and you look around, romance, they talk about romance novels and romance writers and blah, 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 blah. But we're hearkening back to the 1800s and going to the roots of romance. That is the roots of romance. And that's why I went with it. No, it makes sense to me, and it, it, it's it's a, truly a, a stand on not only a principle, and and of course uh, sticking to your to your guns, but also it it, it really helps. In my own personal opinion, it, it helps build the support. What I always talk about it is trying to find a title that that does the best job, and if that's what you feel does the best job for what you're trying to get across. Even if it's if it's in their own way an impediment in the beginning, I mean, oh, oh well. I mean, you still have to be able to, to to stick with it and just hope the rest of the work will you know will carry it on on through. I mean, I, I wouldn't encourage everyone to have to always fight centuries of things <laughs> in, in order to get something across. But sometimes you might not have a choice. And in your case, you know, it was able. It was fun to go with the fight. Yeah, uh, I mean, I could add a tag to it, you know, who knows what, um, an exploration of, uh, 
of romanticism, uh, and that, that that might have helped have helped some people. There was a lot of confusion in that, and and I do apologize for that. But I, again, I do think the title is important, and it's I think it's a good thing to people to, to go back and to look at the roots of of the romantic of the of the romanticism, and that's where it all began. And so now people have learned a little something. Uh, and if you go to Wikipedia or wherever you'd like to go and begin to uh, to read up on it, you're going to see exactly that. That is where it began. And um, um, and here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a blurb right out of uh, uh, again Wikipedia. Um, well, not essential to romanticism, but widespread as as so widespread as to be normative, it was a strong belief and interest in the importance of nature. This particularly an effect of nature upon the artist when he was surrounded by it, preferably alone. Okay, and you're going to see in the piece that that is exactly what's happening. I'm using nature as metaphor, I'm, and then that's what the artist does. He's, he's returning to nature. He's looking to nature. He's looking inside of himself. He's looking to outside of himself. He's looking into his environment. He's pulling it all together. And and I, there's a lot of metaphor in there, a lot of metaphor. And one thing that's interesting about metaphor, and something I've noticed in my own work, is that uh, sometimes people will see it diff- differently than I do. They see something in there that I didn't see. Uh, and um, and I think that's interesting, and I think that's the fun thing about metaphor, that's the fun thing about, for me, this piece, is I see things in it, too, that I, I didn't consciously put in there, but sort of come out of it to me. And I think everybody's going to get whatever they want out of it, it, it through their own personal filter. Uh, for me, as I said, I wrote it uh, stream of consciousness, and then I went in and I edit, edit, edit. And that's one thing I would tell every single writer out there. Uh, you know, the art is in the edit. Edit, edit, edit. You can never do too much editing. Yeah, it's one of the things I and preach all the time on the show is, is, is writing is about rewriting. And if you don't get that, you're just never going to be a writer. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to be, uh, you have to be cruel sometimes to your own work and just, if something's not working, you need to, it might be cool, but you need to throw it out, you know, cut it out of there. You can set it aside and do something else with it if you want to, but you have to look at the piece as a whole and what works and what doesn't. That's it, man. And, and that's, that's it. That, that is true, man. Don't be your first draft Freddy. Be your last draft Larry, okay? Because that's how this has to work. <laughs> you got to do that. And I, I get stuff all the time. Remember, I also the editor of uh, uh, International Literary Journal, Aerial Chart. And I get lots of things that I have to reject, not because they stink, it's because they haven't been fully formatted, because it's obvious to me that this was the first draft and just sent it along. I mean, are you nuts? Look how well this is going here, and then you die over there. Why? Because you haven't thought anything beyond it. You thought it was ready to go, and it's not. You need to rewrite. So if you, if you're ready, Mark, I'll go ahead and I'll read this thing. Oh yes, yes, yes. We're all, we're all ready to hear this. Um, we've read it on your um, aerial chart before. Uh, one of the one of the most read uh, pieces we've had in quite some time. It was on the uh, top ten list for reading uh, on my uh, site there for quite some time as well. Uh, it got some of the most comments anything has ever uh, been gotten on my site in four years. So um, it combined, it's the most ever for individual piece. Uh, so people were definitely interested, and I expect that's going to continue. Okay, well, great. I'm really excited about that, and I, I thank everybody that read it, and I hope they got something from it. 
so let, let, let we begin, and of course it's called the Romance Rider. It's raining outside. I have always loved the sound of the rain, the rain falling, hammering, thumping, beating down on all that is and against all that ever will be. It is romantic, the sound of the rain falling, as it pounds down on the world, forcing it to its knees, making it supplicate itself, gain a new notion of itself, making it reinvent itself, bringing it to a newness, a freshness, a new superlative way of being. The world can suddenly become brand spanking new again, but only with a, with a good storm. It is something that only a genuine deluge can deliver. And against all odds, I am a romantic, an incurable romantic. I am romantic like the rain, and I will die a romantic. It is a thing inside of me that refuses to go away, romanticism. I have tried to dodge it, to leave it discarded along the way, and others have tried to exercise it from me, to kill it. But it remains there ignorant of its own fodder and folly. There is no place for it in the world today, nowhere for it to hide except inside of me, where it lives like a tapeworm in my intestines, eating everything that I can feed it, growing fat and stupid and increasingly unhappy, twisting around in my gut miserable. I would bring to the world the quixotic, the impractical, the starry-eyed wonder of romance, but the world is having nothing to do with it. Idealism is not dying, it's dead. Innocence is not dying, it's gone. Let it rain, I say. Tonight, the rain has kept me indoors and thinking too much. Dangerous thing, that thinking too much. It separates us from the herd. People who think too much tend to live and die alone, if they live long at all. People who tend People who think too much are the enemies of society, and society cannot tolerate free thinkers. They threaten it, and society does not like to be threatened. Society does not like to change, not quickly. Monarchs prefer keeping the blinders on humanity, favor keeping people hoodwinked and fooled, catnipping on their feet. Free thinkers tend to tug the blindfolds away, shake people awake, make them start to reason. Freethinkers force change. Freethinkers are dangerous when there are too many of them in one place. Freethinkers scare people, annoy them, wake them up, poke them with sharp thoughts. People who think too much are put to stink and rot alone in forgotten cells deep down in forgotten places with other criminal minds. Our prisons are filled with freethinkers. Smell is frightful, but the soil is all. The sound of booming along the landscape, it cracking loudly at night, it starts out from someplace far away. Out on the plains, maybe a grassroots assault on the urban and the mundane. Finding me in the city. Thinking. I find myself wishing I had a fireplace. Something other than the forged heat of modern civilization to fend off the cold. Something warmer than the counterfeit heat that electricity provides. Something real. Something passionate. Something like a good bonfire to repel the chill, to repel the chill of a beautiful, if unbalanced, night. Perhaps I will find an apartment with a fireplace someday when I can afford ones brighter and less flawed than this one. For now, I am stuck with a few short candles burning in the dark, their faint halos glowing hazy and distressed, making a Herculean effort to cast some small light into this vast, empty, dark, shadowy room. Outside, rain is splashing against the window as if someone is lobbing heavy buckets of water against it. Thunder applauds, and it is as if somebody is working synchronously at the waterman's side, working a giant and thin flat segment of metal, snapping it hard to force out the crack of thunderclaps. In the dimness, the light flashes hastily, blinking like a third person is standing at a light switch, flicking it on and off. The whole thing is like a cheap theater production, too staged to be for real, or a B-movie perhaps. 
and I am at the center of it, struggling with my lines. I feel like that in this very moment, as if I am stuck in a movie. The soundtrack to the thing is bleeding painfully by my side, hemorrhaging from a small tape player that is sitting on the table. Music to write by wings around the room, shadowy and wet, condensing on the walls, concentrating on the ceiling, crawling up the long walls to the ceiling, collecting there, following, streaming into the pot resting on the floor that I have placed there to collect the water leaking, flooding from the hole in the roof, and like the pot, the blank piece of paper in front of me is waiting, gape-toothed and hungry, waiting to gather all thirsty with an open mouth, waiting to spill over when it was, when it's finally had enough, over full with itself. The movie rolls forward, onward, the rolls turn, recording. I am pensive, sad perhaps, but handsome in my sadness, seductive and sexy in my sorrow, a man, and if I might dare to call myself that, who is too good looking, too sad, too pensive, too dead inside to really be alive, but who clings desperately to this thing called life. Life, as if life is all there is to cling to, a man who has lost faith but is praying to anyone, and at the same time, no one. I am, after all, a dreamer. I am the incurable optimist and is killing me. And yet, I refuse to go just yet. Not now. There's still so much to do, still so much to say. I want a happy ending. A movie of my life would out of necessity boast a grand, if detached, cast of thousands. It would span decades, span continents, span generations. A mammoth horror romance, science fiction, pornographic flick, too confused for its own good. Like a Jackson Pollock campus clutch. Nowhere. Too perplexing to be coherent without taking an unending step forever backwards with the hope of seeing the big picture, the true picture, the real picture, which may not, after all, be comprehensible. Nothing more than the snapshots that are perpetually falling one on top of another, flickering in front of a light with so much quickness that the light itself is completely forgotten. And in the end, we are nothing more than that, and yet we are everything. In the end, we are the movie, and we and we are the actor. We are the gods of our own creation. Let it rain. It is a good rain. Let it rain. And when all is said and done, I am sitting here nothing more than a star of my own box office bomb. The one that the critics love because of its broodiness. The one. See. I'm sitting here. The optimist and the pessimist. The nihilist. The anarchist. The revolutionary with a radical new thought. A return to innocence. Kill the complex and replace it with simplicity, I say. Return to naivete. Become the incorruptible. Be like the children in the garden, but this time lop off the head of the snake. I write and I am written. So be it. I write for you. Let it rain. Let it pour. I will work the bucket and you can work the thunderclap. Let the deluge begin. These are my thoughts. But I am ruined if you do not read me. We are ruined. I am derelict if you do not hear me. Hear me crying out to you in the dark spitting down on your parade. We are done if we do not put on the brakes and take a long and deep breath. Dance in the rain together like children. Let it cleanse us. We are crashing somewhere if we do not stop. Never walking away. Not all of us, just that part of us that is not romance. Only that part of us that stinks, that is dead and dying and rotting, that is horrid, that is nasty and violent, that is repulsive and dangerous. We are rubbish without romance. We are pointless. We are the demons of our own night terrors. We are the nightmare. Let it pour. Let it rain. I am watching the pot fill up. It's getting full. I am watching the paper burst with notions, concepts, grand designs, get jam-packed and detonate with my thoughts, my feelings, my eccentric philosophies, my outrageous beliefs. 
I'm seeing a team with characters lining up like little fire ants pretending to march out on an offensive, reduce everything to white bone and ash, to dirt, to burn it all down, eat it all for dinner, the whole stinking lot of it, then wait for it all to start anew again, better, different, cleansed, purified. My ink is the stuff of dreams, hopes, ambitions, imaginings that are magnificent and far-reaching, cheerful. Bahrain. I write and I am written. So be it. I write for you. I am the romance writer. That's it, Mark. Wow. I, I, it really comes more to life sometimes when people can uh, read the, their work or maybe having someone else re- read their work because it kind of lifts off the page more, but it also depends on, on the style of writing you're doing as well. Not every good piece of writing can can be read effectively. That one works so well. I mean, there's even passages to me. It almost sounds like, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe influence. Uh, uh, you know, not in the horror sense, just in the, some of his own uh, prose narratives can 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 sound that way. Where where, where he's uh, he's given deep description of internal things that are going on. And the metronome, which also works well in poetry. Yes. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Right. Yeah, because I think that's an important aspect of it. You know, he's calling upon nature. He's returning to his roots. And he sees, uh, you know, um, you know, a storm, the, the, the weather, the, the rain, the, the, the purifying of, of nature, you know, uh, returning man to his, to his uh, romantic essence, the, the children in the garden, you know. And, and this time not be... Uh, you know, moved by the snake. The knowledge of good and evil. And, and that's what I mean by I say there's a lot of metaphor in there. And, uh, it's sort of fluent. I'm pretty well read. Uh, and, uh. Um, it definitely helps. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and actually, um, I, I know it's not really, um, it's not on my bio, but I, I do have a degree in psychology with a minor in business. So, um, yeah, we've got that too going on. I've done quite a bit of, of work in, um, in psychology and philosophy. I've worked with some people. So, uh, you know, all that gets stuck in your head. So, uh, and that's what I think a lot of it is, is metaphor. And that's what I was talking about earlier, where I think people need to go in and look for themselves and see, you know, what, what do they make of it? And that's what the uh, romantics were all about, is to, again, uh, return to nature, return to Return to the self, return to, to the deep thinkings of workings of the artist and discovery and to pull out of it and try and make sense of it, to make art of it and to move away from classicism, which is the box which tells you, well, this, this is how it's done. This is what you have to do. Blah, 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 blah. You know, this is the right way to write a poem. This is the right way to, you know, to write a story. And instead, this piece goes where, where, like I said, the, uh, uh, romanticists go to the self, thinking outside of the box and self-discovery and try to find it within that self-discovery art. I, I think sometimes people forget because when, when, when different schools of, of philosophy or thought or even of creativity form, they're done in a way that they're hoping it's going to improve upon the last school of thought. And we never seem to understand as human beings 
and the human condition that there's simply going to be pros and cons to every new thing you came about. There's simply not going to be any perfection, even though we seem to shoot for it. I, that's why I don't really believe in perfection. I think it's a bad idea uh, for people to try to shoot for it all the time because it's a goal that never really going to uh, achieve, not to try to kill anybody's dreams. but And I always felt that those that wanted to return to nature and those that were in the romanticism style of things, uh, if you look at the period of time where they start coming back again, they always seemed like there was some kind of revolt or protest to something that was going on on the social level. And I think uh, during Edgar Allan Poe's day, you, you're dealing with the social upheavals of a new political system, the industrial age, all these different things. I mean, right now you could probably have something like that because of the digital age. There's people who hate computers. <laughs> Right, and Romanticism actually was a revolt against uh, neoclassicism and the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, I'm not surprised because you you could hear it in, in, in many ways, but it makes sense too eh? because you could see why some people might get disgusted with something new that's happened because uh, maybe they feel it's leaving them out or, or maybe it does leave them out <laughs> and, and this is where they need to be- yeah. belong or, or they want to find a belonging or maybe it's just that you know, they want to find home, and it's, they haven't found it yet. So maybe this could be it. You know, I want to return real quick because you talked about the uh, the um, you know the the uh, the the, dis, the, the unrest. And that's from Nathaniel Hawthorne. The Edgar Allan Poe was a romanticist, and Nathaniel Hawthorne was also a romanticist. So, and uh, now here's a quote from a couple of quotes I'll give you from Hawthorne, which I think are, are great. Is Okay, Hawthorne, the world owes all of its forward impulses to people ill at ease. And that's pretty much what you just said. And then uh, Hawthorne also said, no author without a trial can conceive of the difficulty of writing a romance about a country where there is no shadow, no antiquity, no mystery, no picturesque and gloomy wrong, nor anything but a commonplace prosperity in broad and simple daylight as is happily the case with my dear native land, which of course he was American. So, so I think, you know, Hawthorne basically talked to that as well as did Poe. But, um, so anyway, so I think you're right on track with that, Mark. Yeah. It just, it just seemed to me that way more because, uh, you know, like most writers, you know, you, most of us tend to be well-read and, and often have some sort of, uh, a foot in, in, in other, you know, other domains, yours, uh, more philosophy and psychology and mine, more, more sometimes politics and even religion to a certain extent. But, um, they all uh, intersect into the human condition and, and sometimes help exactly. uplift it and sometimes bring it down. But, uh, <laughs> um, it's a quest and for writers to not realize that their work is a quest, whether it might be one internal or might be one external. It still is the journey that they're, they're, they're on and it's better for them to realize it rather than simply just go through it blindly and then one day uh, react. I don't understand how you saw that. I meant this. I'm glad you meant that, but they might catch something else and they might catch something else and bring it home with them and, and now it becomes uh, something that they can live with. You just did that. Be proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said earlier, I've had people uh, talk like me in regards to my poetry and, and I've just found something completely different other than what I thought I'd put in there. 
And that's awesome because that's really what poetry is, I think. Poetry is so, such an individual thing. And if you can find something in it that I didn't consciously put in there and that works for you, then to me that's a good point because it speaks to you. So that's kind of how I feel about poetry. I think writing has a, a, a special area in our lives that we should be not only proud of, but we should be grateful for because in in our social well-being right now, whether it's on the Internet or just out in, in, in public, regardless of what's going on right now with, uh, you know, unrest and corona and all of that, uh, we still live a life where oftentimes our unintended consequences they tend to be negative. We have to apologize for things. Where in writing, we have the unique blessing that when we do things unattended, they still can actually have a benefit. And we should be actually excited about that, that our work could have more dimension than we intended. Be glad. Exactly. And I also like to say that, you know, kind of a side note here is that, you know, people like to say that, um, you know, the, 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 the power the power is in the pen, right? Um, I think really the power is in the reader. And that's where uh, responsibility falls on the writer is because when you write, you are putting things in people's heads and you you are influencing them. And they're the ones who are taking action uh, on what you've written. So that's why I think it's really important, again, going back to being responsible with what you write and, and um, being self-critical and putting out a really a good product that you're proud of and and that's I prefer to go with positive things myself personally. I think if I'm gonna do something negative, it's to call attention to uh just things so that we can move it into like a, a more as you and I were discussing earlier, a more positive discussion so that we can work together to make things better. So that's why I think, you know, then writing, of course, is art. I think that's where art is really important. Uh, it can move people into a discussion and they can see things. And that's why uh, when they say that the power is in the pen, there's power in the pen, but the power is really in the, in, in the reader because the reader is interpreting something. It's in their head and they're moving forward with that. However small or however large that is, it's impacted them. So that, but that isn't, that's the importance of a writer and for a writer to keep that in mind. I couldn't agree more, and I like the part about the writer's responsibility because I, I don't know, harp, nag, whatever you want to call, but I speak about it a, a great deal, and oftentimes I, I do is because we sometimes forget that we can imbue on our writing a, a sense of getting a person in, in to see something that normally they wouldn't see because they live a life of 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 religion and politics and entertainment and and even social media that still manages to fail to bring certain things to light that they should see and sometimes art might be the only device the only vehicle to deliver that message or or that image or that thought or that even or even that provocation yeah, very, very true. And, and and sometimes we're the last ones to do this because everybody else has failed to do so i mean it's sad but why should we expect uh, in in a world of imperfection that somehow our religion has every answer or our politics have every answer or our leaders have every answer or the scientists have any answer? Why would we expect that? It, it, it simply doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm not saying that art has all of the answers because it doesn't either. 
what I, what I am saying is that sometimes it's the last refuge to find uh, something that might even resemble an answer because you're not going to find it in all those other areas. Well, to add just a little bit to that, one of my favorite quotes of all time, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase it here, but essentially what he said was that the, the truth is usually in the middle of a room of a bunch of people supposing. So by that, has the whole answer. No, it's somewhere in the middle of the, the discussion. Usually the happy medium to most things that tends to have the most. But we, I, I think the reason why that is the case more times than not is because the things in the middle is when we start getting closer to reason versus all the heat on both sides of things. Right. Now, right. is it a perfect yeah, answer? No. Individually. Yeah. No. Well, I think what we see individually is not necessarily the truth. We see our version of, of what we believe is the truth, but we may not see the truth because we don't see everything. You know, we don't really have a, a, a global view. For instance, we have a personal view. So we have our own version of the truth, but we don't have the truth. I think Mark has part of the truth. Jan has part of the truth. Don has part of the truth. Somewhere in the middle, for us three, there's a truth. That's kind of how I look at it. And it's not a bad way to look at it because I, I find more and more as I uh, go on in my own travels of writing and, and life and editing and producing and all that is that it seems to me that the only way a person these days can start any kind of discussion is finding the few things that they have in common and make that the medium, make that the middle and then go from there to have a discussion of how maybe they can, if not solve a problem, at least live with a problem without having to be unreasonable people. And until people are willing to do that, nothing gets solved because you can't get anything solved when you're in corner A and I'm in corner B. It's just not going to work. Exactly. we got to come to the middle exactly. just because it gets us out of the damn corner. Exactly. And you and I talked about that earlier. And uh, you had told me a story where uh, some of the guys in your unit wanted to move over away from because they were you have, they were separate races. OK, we'll get right down to it. They were separate races. And a couple of these guys in the unit that were a different race than you wanted to move over and sit with their own race. And you had mentioned to them, and I think rightfully so, that, no, you know, we're we're a team. We're a one unit. We need to stay together and work together. What you do on your time is your time. But right now, we are a unit, and we need to be here together as one, working together and put all the other crap aside. So, yep, and that came from my that came from my parents. Uh, my my mm-hmm. parents uh, pretty much instructed us on a great deal about civil rights from the Italian perspective. Mm-hmm. We were um, always mm-hmm. we were always concerned, growing up in New Jersey, that um, Hollywood had us down as mobsters or, or stupid athletes, and uh, so that means mm-hmm. that makes us either murderers or morons as Italians, and and of course living in a community that actually did have a portion of people like that, because I'm not I'm not one of those Italians uh-huh. that, that deny that that's the truth. But it doesn't mean that you need to consider me as a mafioso just because there's a couple that live down the block from me. Uh, it has nothing to do with me. That's where stereotypes come from. 
So they were very exactly. much into, uh, you know, uh, Italian-American rights and, and making sure that that sort of, uh, you know, um, I guess you could say stereotype was, you know, was shattered, reminding people about the Italian culture and how it certainly has a whole lot more than, than a couple of thugs, you know, in it. And um, by understanding that more, when I went into the Air Force, I, I was just I was just disturbed that I'm sitting there in the cafeteria, which in the Air Force we often call the commissary as well, and, and I'm looking at a racially segregated place, and there's no signs, there's nobody directing anybody. People are doing this naturally, which I find even more disgusting than if they were doing it because someone was pointing out to do it. And I told the uh, the I told the two black fellows in my unit, I, I said, listen, today you're in this unit. Tomorrow you could be black. They were shocked when I said that, but what I was trying to get them to understand, and they started to understand that later on in the months ahead, was if we were going to be a team, we needed to be a team. We could not go around being separate during the day when we're working because we had to be a team. Now, if they wanted to do that after work and didn't want to hang out with a team or just wanted to hang out with other folks that were like them, not only do I not have an objection to that, that, that seems natural and normal. It's not natural and normal when you need to be a, a unit and sometimes your survival and the kind of work that you're doing, you know, it, it, it pretty much needs that. And I, I think later on they came became less standoffish about it and understood that that was a good way to not only uh, form a team and, and, and maintain a team, but it's also a, a good way to, to cross cultural barriers and it's a good way to – beat up on prejudice by making sure it never happened in the first place because oftentimes prejudice happens in an innocent way and then we let it go on until it festers in some kind of cancerous racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely right, I think. You know, it's, it's a shame uh, because all cultures, all cultures have contributed so much to, to humanity as a whole. You know, we talk about the black culture, for instance. I mean, you don't want to get down to nuts and bolts where do you think uh, your music came from it came from the blues american music came from the blues country music came from the blues rock and roll came from the blues jazz came from the blues they're all ex- they're all extensions of the blues yeah all the chord exactly exactly just all of our american music came from from a black foundation so unless you're going to pull out a, a, a violin and play beethoven which you could say is not black influence just about everything else is uh, as soon as we acknowledge that exactly. creatively, then we can have a, a, also a conversation about, hey, there is another commonality and why we shouldn't be throwing stones at each other, but sitting the hell down and, and having a good time with the understanding that from what wonderful gift we've been given, we'll be able to create more. Right. I mean, blacks have a beautiful, rich culture. They're wonderful people. And I would say the same thing about Italians. And I would say the same things about the Hispanics, I, Asians. It's there. It's all beautiful to me. I I love diversity. In fact, I think it's just one of the best things we have going for us. And that's one of the things I do like about the United States is the diversity, because I think all people in all cultures are beautiful. There are negative aspects to everything, of course, and there are always bad actors. But as a whole, as a whole, you know, uh, for instance, uh, the um, uh, what uh, the Arabians, okay. They gave us algebra. That stuff gives me a headache, but still, they did give it to us. Uh, and, you know, and we use it constantly for, in engineering, and it's allowed us to create so many marvels. So 
I, all people have value. All people are beautiful. That's how I see it. And, uh, and I think it is ridiculous to be racist. It's, it's, it's just not right. It's not pleasant. I've experienced it. Um, and uh, it, it's just a horrible thing. We are better than that. We are so much better than that. And at least we should be and try to be. Well, I don't know because I've, I've never really mentioned this before on the show. I don't know where even the best writing can tackle these more complicated uh, subjects like racism. But what I, what I do know is that the more writing allows us to learn more about other cultures, maybe that in itself starts to break down some of the things that are necessary for us to get through and learn more about each other. So maybe that's what it does because sometimes if you write a piece about that subject in a strident way, you might not actually get across anything that could be still useful. So maybe it's more about learning about another culture rather rather than learning about that issue. And I think what you did mention, Mark, is it allows us to learn about ourselves which I think is really important. Yeah, I, 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 people forget that all the time, that that writing really helps bring out the self and, and really helps respect the, the individual. And I really think, especially when you're talking about um, the, the subject that we're currently dealing with right now, where um, you're dealing with uh, racism, especially on, on, the, on the level of the black community, uh, if you think about it on an emotional basis, uh, there's something in that black cry that's saying that I, as an individual, is not being noticed because you're using all these horrible words against me or you're stopping me from doing this or you won't let me do that. So when the black individual can come out in writing, that is also another way of breaking through that kind of nonsense because writing is about the individual more than anything else. Exactly. It's, it's you know, writing is, a, is, a, is an expression of the self. So I, I think in that way we can con- contribute. I, I really, I really do uh, believe. But I, I know, you know, I don't, um, I don't promote the, the belief that you know one poem is somehow solving you know five thousand years of, of conflict either, because <laughs> we we have to be uh, not only realistic, uh, but we we have to also uh, make some sense of what we're trying to do, and oftentimes, um, if not baby steps, at, at least. You know, uh, some 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 steps before we're trying to run, you know, out, out the door and, and and solve something. So I think writing has a a, a, a place to play in in helping those those issues, uh, but it's not going to be the whole ball of wax. And, and on that note, I want to get back to uh, the, the writing, okay, uh, and in particular the poetry, because one of the issues I the major issues I see with poetry. Is I think most poets don't put their best stuff out there. You know, the stuff that really embarrasses them, that scares them about themselves, those are the ones they kind of keep off to the side. They want to go with pretty words. They want to go with something that sounds nice. You know, I think a lot of a lot of times poets are not uh, putting their their best work out there because they're not digging in to into their gut and giving us their honest representation of who they are in the world they live in and what they are experiencing. And that's what really what I would like to see from poetry, uh, because I, well, I think we need to see that. 
because it lets us know that, okay, I'm not alone here. I, I see this too. I think this too. I feel this way too. And so speaking about poetry and writing, I think that's one thing that, that, that some of these poets out there need to take a look at is really, you know, give us your gut stuff, the stuff you feel down deep and the stuff you're embarrassed of and that scares you about yourself, you know, because most of us probably are thinking the same way or, or feeling the same way. And I think that's what people go when they go look for poetry. That's what they're looking for. And, and I, and I completely uh, agree with that. One of the problems I found behind the scenes as an editor and just if somebody might talk to somebody uh, on, on a private level is, is that some of the best, the most honest work that comes out of those individuals are, are people that, that truly have life in tatters and that have issues mm-hmm. that I can't not only um, deal with on that level, but don't really want to tolerate. And, and I mean the people that have horrible issues with alcoholism and, and, and drugs and that sort of thing, because it doesn't make people to be uh, very reliable partners when you want to do things with them. And, and quite frankly, if you associate with them, even on the social media basis, when they go off on one of those bandwagon things, uh, they're dragging you down with them because they're saying all kinds of nonsensical things that later on, hey, I'm sorry, I, I said all that horrible, hateful stuff, but I was drunk or I was under the influence of this or that. Or I was, I'm dealing with depression and all this. I'm not making light of any of those things, and God knows I'm not mocking those sort of situations. But as people first, before artists, there's certain lines that we need to to draw. So as much as I like that material that you're talking about, and as much as I want to see that, and I don't encourage the fake stuff that you're talking about because I agree with you on that, that putting out something that you think somebody else wants is probably not the most authentic way to be an artist. There are... There are consequences and there are reasons why some of that more authentic stuff comes out or why sometimes it doesn't come out. Because unfortunately, uh, if you accept Dr. Jekyll in your living room, you've got to face the responsibility that Mr. Hyde might come out later. Hmm. And it's not, a, it's, it's not, a, it's but, not um, an easy thing to do. It, it really isn't because I don't. I don't live that kind of life, and, and I, don't, I don't. I don't like that kind of life around me. Well, that's true. But we. But as a true artist, you know, we must talk about Rimbaud, you know, who Dylan refers who who greatly influenced you know, Dylan, for instance. So, you know, Rimbaud is the one who went so deep in the exploration. Is a romantic too, by the way. Uh, so so deep into that self as an as a true artist to act, to live it and to bring it all out, and and that's what that's what made him one of the greats. Uh, and so I think there's a difference. You're, you're going to, if you're going to be an artist, are you going to kind of try and stay middle of the road, unless that's naturally who you are, just a natural middle of the road kind of guy, or are you going to go way left or way right and, and actually give us the gut, your gut take, and truly experience art and where art can take you? And so that's the question. Where do you go as an artist? How deep do you go? Because does it become a lifestyle or is it just kind of a little hobby you like to do every once in a while? All right. You know, roses are red, violets are blue. This is a really cool poem. I'm glad you, you like it too. You know, or are you going to get in and dig deep and find something that really matters? That's what I'm saying about art. And, 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 you're, and you're right. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to get in a soapbox. I just want to let you know that, you know, um, there's sometimes baggage to come along with some of the stronger pieces of work. 
and you have to figure out it, what's going to be worth it to you or not, and and you know where that where that leads to with that individual because I, I won't put them all in the same category. You know, I know I, I work with a lot of people who have depression that don't act that way and 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 fight and do their best they can to, you know, the fit into society that doesn't know to always understand them, and you know they have my help and, and sympathy, of course, but you have others that you know either can't or won't. So you have to make you have to make some decisions because if you don't, right. you're going to have a lot of craziness. I'm not, I'm not talking about going on a quest with these people. I'm talking about reading their thoughts, authentic work, and their thoughts and their feelings, and 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 uh, trying to, to get into their head and really understand where it is they're coming from, to understand them, to get their perspective on life and what life uh, it means for them, and what life is. Giving no, them. and I, and I got that, Don. It's just that. Ultimately, when I wear a different hat of the editor and the publisher or podcast producer, I am for a small period of time taking a journey with them, whether I like it or not and whether I'm willing to admit it or not. So I have to just make sure is it, is it the journey I can go on <laughs> versus not? Because <laughs> you have to make that decision and that's the difference other than being a reader. A reader can read all kinds of stuff and walk away and not have to worry about that. You can't do the same thing as editor when you wear these different hats because you have to get more in, in, involved unfortunately and that's not uh-huh. always a good thing or or a fun thing <laughs> right yeah. well, yeah, that's kind of my perspective on art though I think that's what that's that's what I think is where it has real value as when it's real when it's authentic uh, and um, it can really like um, illuminate well, in practice and in principle, I happen to agree with you that there are those that hold back. You know, I just uh, I just found out as I went over the course of uh, my career in the arts that there are genuine reasons sometimes why people hold back, and and sometimes they they might be reasons that may be better for them, maybe better for us. So um, I don't always believe that every truth out there needs to be told or is always the best thing. Uh, art and I think the importance of it. And how I said that even those things that uh, uh, you know sometimes make us uncomfortable can at least provide illumination. Yeah, and they do. And and I and I, I don't I don't like to veer from it. I just have to realize though that you know I can't live in the denial of people might have those kind of problems, and that's my reason why they might not be as authentic in in their in their art because they have certain things they maybe feel they need to hold back. You know, so I try not to push too many people on on that particular subject. I understand that it's there, you know, and I'm always hesitant to to call somebody uh, who puts out an art that I might not feel could have went further fake because, you know, it's it's just really not accurate either uh, when they could have went farther. Uh, maybe they're not yeah. comfortable. We have to also respect those kind of boundaries, and I'm okay with that. You right. know, but I, I do agree with you that you could really tell the difference on a piece of writing that uh, a person came from uh, from their from their soul versus somebody that's just sort of writing on an intellectual level. It's, you can really tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. And that, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And I, I really love stuff that comes from the soul personally. You know, the, the gut level stuff. I re- I really love that. I try to get as much as I can with it. You know, I just I, I, I know and you're doing a great job. I, I just sometimes you can't, or sometimes folks don't want to, or I said sometimes like. You know, they wind up being people that I just can't work with because, 
you know, there's the, two out there, uh, two unreliable, or, or, or they, like I said, they go, like I was mentioned before, I know he's trying to make a joke or anything, but, you know, you, you have to realize that with, with some folks, uh, you, you're inviting in Dr. Jekyll, and you're hoping you're going to have this intelligent conversation, but you also have to realize that there's a Mr. Hyde there too. That person can come out later on, and then you're not so happy about that. So if you can't accept both parties in that situation, you might not be able to accept anybody, or you have to learn to live with that. You know, I found as I've gotten older, I'm less, I'm less willing to live with, with irresponsibility or, you know, uh, I didn't mean to be a, a bigot in that instance. I was drinking. I mean, there's some things I just don't want to hear anymore because it, it, it becomes an excuse. We, we love, we live a, a difficult and complicated lives enough as it is. Uh, that we can't have some people around us that can at least be reliable once in a while, you know, and, um, why, why you let that in into your arts if you don't even want to like deal with that in your lives, you know, so I think it's an also honest way of going about my own way of viewing, of viewing art too. It's like, listen, I'm not going to allow people like that around my children. Why am I going to allow that around my art if I have the same, same conflicts or same concerns? You know, I'm not asking them to be somebody different, but I asking them that if they're going to operate in the world, there are also basic rules we need we need to follow, and if we can't follow those, then you know I can't be around those people. That's 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 pretty much what I come to 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 understand. And by exercising that, and and, and even in my own journals and publications, and even shows, uh, I, I find myself to be not only more authentic, but I also found myself to be happier too, because I don't want to ever be in a situation artistically that I'm like. I have to drag my feet in the office. Oh, I got to go interview this guy now. Oh, I got to go talk to that girl. If I have to do that, I, I shouldn't be doing that interview then, period. That's the way I have to feel. I have to be excited. I have to be able, like a two hours ago before this thing started. Damn, I can't wait to talk to Don. I'm happy to, to, to continue our conversation. That's how I want to be on everything. Not, not because I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. It's because if you can't do this because you don't respect the people and you don't love what's going on, then just don't do it at all. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I'm just saying that um, that I I, I I I personally really like that when I see an artist that, that really get, goes deep and gives us an, an authentic uh, part of themselves, so that so that we can see that. And I, I'm afraid that I don't see enough of that especially on some of the other poetry sites. Not to say that I write the greatest poetry in the world or anything, but, you know, I, I just, I really love when I find those truly, truly authentic pieces that make me think. It's not, it's not an easy task. Cause it, when you think about it, just in terms of the craft, you know, um, how, how the hell can you get really emotional in a haiku? The damn structure alone sort of like practically <laughs> smothers you. <laughs> I'm not making fun of haiku. It's just the truth. That is true. That's very true. Actually, I like haiku quite a bit. I, I love the fact that, that you can say a lot with just a few words. And, but yeah. that's, that's why it was created. It was created for some sort of a natural reflection. It wasn't created for some deep thoughts, you know? Right, exactly. And mm -hmm. that's cool. But uh, I, I think that um, sometimes we can't get to the truth we might want, possibly because we're in the wrong structure. We, we could be in the wrong genre, or we could be even in the wrong mood. So there could be a lot of reasons why people don't get to where they want to be just because of they have all these obstacles in their path, not even because they're trying to avoid the truth, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So there's going to be some practical reasons too. So I try to allow for that. But uh, I agree with you. I like to see more of that, and I'm always happy when I when I do. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes, and people might notice. And I'm telling that I'm not saying, folks, this is some great rule or hint to go at, okay? But I, I like to, um, as a tiebreaker, when I try to nominate uh, writing for awards, I like to try to find the things that I, I find were more were more moving and, and more uh, more emotional and, and, and more um, more more truthful in, in depth than the things that that hit all the academic marks and and did everything grammatically perfect and all of that because. In the end, to me, if I want to go to the next level, I need to I need to leave that behind and and see what else is it bringing to the table. So I I try to nominate more things for prizes that that have that 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 real authenticity versus that that academic you know feeling. Yeah, I think I mean there's a place for the academia, especially if you're writing an article. Uh, you know, you know you want to you want to stick uh, pretty much you know straightforward and upfront and provide facts. And, um, and I take people on that journey where it just, it basically gives them what they, what they need to know about the particular situation. And the art, there can be an art in, 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 in a column or, 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 uh, or a column, uh, or an article, but, you know, it, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, what we're talking about as far as art. That's more just straightforward. Boom, 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 boom. Here you go. This is what you need to do. In other words, what I've told people when I used to, um, uh, uh, work with writers. Uh, you know, I was a, as a tutor when I was in college. I actually tutored English and psychology. So I would I would tell people, you know, basically an essay is this: tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. That's all an essay is. And then so a column is pretty similar to that. This is, you know, just want to tell you, this is why I'm telling you this, and this is what I told you. That's pretty straightforward. And so I see that as being different than, 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 than an actual, you know, something that a poem or a short story or something else, you know, that you want to, you want to put in there. Well, I'm very happy that we have you on board, uh, not only on the show, but on aerial chart, because when you look at the romance writer, it's put inside the category of a column, but it itself is not a column, because I'm not making fun of anyone, but most columns are good writing, but they're not necessarily art, where the romance writer is a piece of art. It goes beyond being a column, which to me satisfies both of the things that we're trying to get done, something regularly done on a monthly basis, but also try to stick to some art. So I'm so happy that you were able to meet that challenge and, and go beyond it and, and do something that um, is... Uh, not only incredibly useful in this day and age that we sometimes forget, you know, through our technology, uh, mm-hmm. that um, there's a world outside the window, <laughs> and, and we need to actually explore it once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. Me being a city person, I was so happy to be able to travel on the world because it, it really kind of gave me a, a better sense of what the world was about and what was out there beyond the city. Because when I would say I was a city person, I mean, I'm talking about I never hunted or fished. I mean, I don't know crap about plants. You know, we didn't have a lawn. I mean, it's that we were city people. I mean, just that didn't go about things that way. Just so it's great to not only travel, but also to live a life now as an adult where, um, I don't have a, a city living and I'm happy to not have one. 
Now, don't get me wrong. You're not going to mistake me as some country guy. And you're certainly not going to be able to say Mark is a farmer because that's never, ever, ever going to happen, okay? But you're going to say that, you know, Mark is not such a city guy that he can't respect that, you know, plants need water and, you know, the landscaping is hard-ass work and <laughs> and and uh, and people who farm deserve our, our utmost respect and support. So uh, I've, lear- I've learned that and, and I take that seriously now. <laughs> yeah, anybody that's ever bailed hay would agree with you on that. I, I spent I spent a weekend on the farm in Germany. I'm like, oh my god, can I get out of here, please? And, and not because I hated the, not because I hated the people. It's because I never I never worked so hard in my life. I, I was young still, and every part of my body was like dying. It was just so much stuff to do, and yes. you have to do it right and well, and and you got to do it quickly because you got to deal with the time light and and the water and the supplies and. Oh my God! It's just uh, an incredible life uh, uh, of meaning, but of real work. It is. It's true. It's hard work that you have to do intelligently and quickly. Now, uh, for me, um, you know, I was born and raised in Southern California, Los Angeles in particular is where I was raised, uh, and I got I got out there as soon as I could. I could, as I told you about at fifteen, at fifteen in the sixties, seventies, uh, I was in eight Ashbury, you know, and and. Uh, so I was pretty blessed because I have traveled the world quite extensively um, and it is a fascinating world out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying in regards to city life as opposed to country life, as opposed to, uh, you know, getting a bigger, broader perspective of it. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love the upbringing in the city. It, it has uh, me and to me a many more advantages than when you live in the, in the, in the rural part of a country where you don't have as much cultural exposure, you know, to zoos and museums and, and all kinds of interesting, uh, things that you just don't get. You have to travel a lot farther to go see those where in the city it's a lot easier because it's all right there. So in many ways that they have some educational advantages, but there's, there are also some disadvantages too. And I learned as I grew up and traveled that I need to fill those gaps in. And, and thankfully I did. Yeah. It's a big, beautiful world out there. You know, a lot going on, a lot of diversity. It's a beautiful place. It really is the Garden of Eden. It really is. And I lived in where you're living at now, actually. So, you know, uh, me and my wife did that for seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. My first son, know, my first son was born there in, in Channel, Arizona, right there at the hospital. Oh, okay. And, and you know it's hot right now. Oh yeah, yeah. We know, we know the, we, we know the time zone issues and how that was so different than the rest of our family, you know, who all lived on the East Coast. And of course, we know um, the, the, how the temperature is. You know, I, I always felt, and I'm not putting down Arizona because it's not Arizona's fault, but I always felt that the heat, in many ways, kind of like makes it harder to be social because you can't go walking around side hole at this point where it's dangerous to do so. Yeah, that's, that is true. Yeah. You have to be acclimated uh, and you, and you have to make sure that you are, you're, you're uh, plenty of water all the time on hand. You really, you really do. And you, you can't be doing no landscaping before like eight o'clock in the morning. Cause by then it's already 85 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's usually I've seen it up to one twenty eight. It usually averages around one ten. Yeah, we've had it. You know? We've had a number of one ten days when we're there, and it was like, oh my god, please don't let this AC break, you know. <laughs> and, I, and then of course I had the time when I'm I'm leaving the house. I got to shuffle my feet because the freaking scorpions went underneath the garage. It's just hanging out. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Those and the spiders. We've got a lot of spiders and snakes. I never really had a snake experience, but I definitely had a scorpion one a couple of times. 
And, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I like being there. We were able to see so much of the rest of part of the country, uh, from there because, uh, a lot of people don't realize that in many ways, Arizona is the Germany of America in the sense that you can go to lots of places that are close and see lots of things. And, and, and Arizona is the same way. You can go to California and Nevada and many places w- w- within driving distance and, and, and get to see and do things. So uh, we got married there. We got we honeymooned in, uh, in both Las Vegas and San Diego. And uh, we got to see a whole lot of things and, and see a, a lot more of the country and and be more adults and everything like that before we finally – you know, settle down to have uh, to have children. Well, so it was a wonderful time. Well, where I live in Yuma, I mean, it really does. It, it really has a lot to recommend. I can be in Mexico in maybe ten minutes. Well, assuming the border's not closed like it is now, uh, I can be I can be in Alpine, uh, so I can be in the snow within a couple hours. I can be in San Diego within three three and a half hours. Uh, I can be in California in just a couple of minutes, uh, about six hours outside of Los uh, Los Angeles. I can be in the desert. Uh, but we have several lakes here. We have the Colorado River here. We have the sand dunes here where Star Wars was filmed. Uh, so I can be, you know, I, I can be on the water. I can be in the sand. I can be in a forest. I can be in the snow. It, it you're right. It really just, it's, uh, there's a lot here. Yeah. You, you just, you get to see and do a whole lot. So it's just, if you're ever there, you want to try to take advantage of that as much as possible. We actually lived there though. So it was, uh, um, a hell of an interesting, uh, experience. Um, I got to see Mexico for the first time for a number of times and got to learn and, and understand that a, a lot better. And, um, it was great for my writing. Uh, my first book was published when I was out there and, uh, I was, uh, I, I was excited to, to speak and, and do a lot, a lot of things in that, in that area. Um, I never, because maybe I'm from New Jersey. So I, I, I met somebody that was Mexican before, even in New Jersey. But I never met anybody that would have been considered a Native American. So that was the first time also to meet yeah. people that were Native Americans because that was completely new. Even when I went to, to, to the Air Force, uh, there was nobody in, in my Air Force troop that was a Native American. And then I went to Europe, and, of course, you're not going to meet any of those there. So when I came back to live in Arizona, that was the very first time. So that was incredibly a unique experience to go on a reservation and see what some of the things that was going on and, and talk to some of those folks who I've never met in my life. So, uh, that, that's, that's a critically important thing too, because, uh, it's, it's a part of American history that we need to also have some knowledge on. And, and, and just like I, I feel that the black culture, uh, we, we have some work to, to, to do on, on, on bringing that into the fold. Uh, uh, we probably still have some work to do on the, on the native ones as well. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think, you know, when we bring this back to art, I think it's good that artists get out there and explore and, you know, look at new places, experience new places, uh, meet new people, get different perspectives. And I think that's a great thing that they can do and that they can really bring input into their art. It, it definitely does. And it, for me, it happened by accident. But, yeah, it, it really does. Uh, some people purposely travel just because they wanted to broaden themselves and make themselves a better writer. Believe it or not, that actually works. So it's not a bad plan to do if you can afford to do so or if you got the time to do so or, or whatever. Why not? But just keep in yeah. mind, folks, that, you know, you, you got a modest budget or you have a, a, a lifestyle that might not allow you to do so. No one says you have to go to Paris and, and somehow now you become brilliant. You, you could go three counties over from where you live at and notice different things in, in, in nature and in the community that can still spur different things in your artistic endeavors. So you don't have to go far 
We're just saying right. you, you should go out of the house at least because it's going to yeah. help. <laughs> and, I was, and I was actually going to address that because you could be some fascinating people in your local coffee shop and just sit down and they may be bored or lonely and talk to them. And they've have they've had maybe had a fascinating life. They might not even realize they've had a fascinating life. But, uh, you know, I, I've sat down and talked to hobos who, who talk about, uh, uh, you know, busking, you know, which, of course, is making money on the street playing guitar or doing a show or something, or hoboing or hopping trains and going from one part of the country to the other. And there's some really super fascinating people out there. And you could just step right outside your door go to any local coffee shop or bar if you want to, or whatever you want to go and find some really fascinating people to really broaden your perspective on life. And, you know, of any maker model, you know, of these people, they've all got stories to tell. And, and, and that's one of the things I do. I recommend is yeah, just talk to people, find out who they are, what they're about. And, and I agree because you know? it's all about personal contact. As much as we could do that, it's going to, it's going to broaden us as, as people and, and as artists. Now, before we, we wrap up this show, Don, uh, let's talk a little bit about you as a, a person. Um, are you doing anything new right now or, or a project or, or two or something that you might want to share a little bit about? Uh, well, you don't have to tell all secrets. Yeah, or anything. I, I mean, just I, in I, general. Right. <laughs> yeah, I could throw some great titles out there. They might get stolen. I don't yeah, know. you don't want to do uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I always have projects that I'm working on. I'm always working on poetry. Um, I am still working on a couple. Of, actually, I'm, I'm working on, well, technically, I guess I'm working on, well, I'm working on some short stories, but I'm working on actually like five books at the same time. I know that sounds crazy, but I have a trilogy I'm working on, uh, and, and that's going pretty well. It's plotted, and I'm putting stuff in there as it goes along. I'm also working on an, another bigger book uh, that actually – it's sort of a, um, uh, like a fantasy kind of a thing. Okay. Like in, in sort of like in the mood of like a Lord of the Rings kind of a thing. Okay. I'm not going to rip off Lord of the Rings. I have my own, my own unique perspective on it, I think, but I'm working on that. And then I'm always working on, on, uh, you know, it seems to be a never ending work is, is my, uh, the notes for the unwritten child. Uh, which earlier I read a, a part of that to you when we were talking about it. And so you know how I feel about that. Yes. And another, another one I'm working on is, uh, you know, the, uh, notes from the garden thing where, and that's a book I'm, I'm, I'm always writing. It's constantly being put together. I'm always putting new things in there. Uh, and, and so, and I do do a lot of research and stuff. So, and, and that basically, and, and people who go to my page or whatever can see, cause I throw bits and pieces out there. Um, basically that's from the perspective of, you know, you as an individual who has left the garden of Eden, the forgotten garden. Okay. And me or this entity as the garden reminding you from the perspective of the garden of this is really what's important. Okay. Uh, so that kind of thing. So those are the projects I'm working on. I'm constantly working on a, just a myriad of projects. Um, and of currently right now, I'm, uh, um, as soon as this, uh, these, uh, borders come down and international flights uh, come back up, as I, as I told you, I'm trying to get back to Europe. Just been a few years there. Um, just, and, you, and you're, course, gonna, you're just going to try to take article. a, you're going to try to take a new job there or something. Is that, that's the plan? Well, no, no, no. Um, 
no, I, I'm I'm going there to uh, primarily be with my girlfriend, and uh, hopefully we'll take that further and to write. You know, I'm always, okay. I always write, and that's gotcha. that's what I've been. I'm working. I am, you know, my dream is to be a novelist and uh, a good one. You know, I honestly would like to see my books at some point in time next to next to the the, the biggies. That's that's my goal. You know, and that's what I'm working towards. Okay. Uh, and so that's important to me. Whether or not, you know, I make a lot of money, money, frankly, is just, as long as I have what I need to survive, I'm good. I'm, I'm not just a, I'm not a big money person. You know, as long as I have what I need, I'm good. So that's kind of where my, my hands at. Um, and so that's what I'm working towards. And of course, I'm writing for Ariel Charts, the uh, column. Yes, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, and I do a lot of, I do a lot of research and I do a lot of reading myself. You know, I pick something up, for instance, the, you know, my, my idol really is Henry Miller. And, uh, you know, you know I, I read a lot of Henry Miller and I'm a little different than most people is and then, <clears throat> if I'm reading something and something sparks my interest, I go investigate that too. Okay. So like, for instance, Henry Miller was talking, I read a book about uh, Henry Miller's, uh, the, the assassins, um, talked about uh, Rimbaud. So I had to go read Rimbaud and investigate Rimbaud. And uh, and then his influences, of course, you know, Dylan, he influenced Dylan, uh, and so on and so forth. And so I do a lot of that, uh, you know, just running around and I do a lot of research and a lot of writing and a lot of reading and uh, and I'm working on multiple projects. And they're usually all, well, they're, they're all, all different because I have such a wide variety of interests, like, for instance, uh, you know, classical romanticism. But I also, I, I also just like uh, regular nowadays, you know, Stephen King storytelling. I like that too. You know, I like theater. I like, uh, you know, uh, show writing, you know, the, the show runners and the scripts that they come up with. And, and I like classical movies. And, and so I have such a wide variety of interests. I'm kind of always looking at everything. And so, uh, when I'm talking about my trilogy, which is basically a noir series. Okay. Uh, I'm working on that it was sort of set in uh, Los Angeles in the forties. I have that. And, Again, the uh, fantasy uh, piece I'm working on, I have that. And then, you know, my two uh, poetry, I'm always putting those together in a couple of books I'm working on. And Penciling in Life, for instance. And, um, yeah, and uh, the other couple I'm putting together, which is, um, you know, Notes from the Forgotten Garden and Notes for the Unwritten Child. So, I, you know, I stay pretty busy with a lot of projects going on all the time. I know. You make me look like I'm standing still, and I do a lot. Wow. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to mention trying to have a life. So, yeah. And then that's kind of what I'm about. But, I mean, I'm honestly, Mark, I'm in it for the art. No other reason. That's it. You know? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, not a big, uh, I'm not a big money person out there trying to make a, a killing, you know, financial or anything. Um, yeah. I, I just want to write. And uh, I want to hopefully um, put something good and positive out there for people to consider in my own little way, maybe make the world a little bit better place to be. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. We need more people to do that and definitely need more people to contribute and, and, and see what they can do. So, I mean, I'm excited to have you on board and both the show and, and in the journal. And apparently readers that seem to be taken to you very well. Um, your most recent piece about the police brutality, which in itself is a subject that you normally don't talk at the coffee table about. 
I mean, it's just it's just flying off the 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 shelves, so to speak, of of the uh, the journal. Just a huge uh, audience that seemed to build for it, and bringing new people to the magazine as well. And of course, um, oh, that's great. People seem to react well, to know, it in a positive way, so I'm I'm happy about that. Well, you know, I spent I, I, as I say in the article, I spent most of my adult life in in some aspect of policing. I was I was a bodyguard. Uh, I've walked a beat. Um, I, you know, I was a, basically a, a pretty much a ranger out in the desert. You know, um, I did a lot of time out in the desert. You know, park ranger kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I've you know experienced the whole broad spectrum of policing and 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 security. I did contract security as well too. Um, and in fact, I retired as a captain. So, yeah, I've had a, you know, a, a pretty wide experience with it. And I've been everything from, you know, I've, I've worked with the, I've been in a union. I, I was a union vice president. Uh, I was also management, senior management. Uh, and I worked close to military police. I spent, you know, I retired from the military as a military police officer. So I spent a lot of time, have a very broad perspective on it. And that's, excuse me, that's what I tried to bring is I see both sides of it. I see what the problems are. And you're absolutely correct. I don't know if we, know if we mentioned that yet or not, but you know, the real problem is, is, is being hired that should never have been hired in the first place. You know, and then it's hard to get rid of them for one reason or other. And when I discussed that in the article. Yeah. And I'm and glad, so you, I'm glad I, you did. I wrote something similar about it because I, I think that. I'm not saying it's the answer to all the issues that we're dealing with right now, but it really is a segment that's not talked about enough. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And and, that, and that's where I came from is again, from my perspective of having lived through it for the, the majority of my adult life and sort of been every aspect, almost every place I could go with it. I did it in Europe. I did it in the States. Um, and yeah, w- w- what's in the article is basically what I have to say about it without being a dead horse. Um, yeah, it's not all, basically not all cops are bad and not all cops are good. And, and that's all there is to it, pretty much, pretty much. It, it's, uh, it's something we definitely need to work through. I, I agree, and I'm hoping uh, that day will come, but, um, uh, I'm not really seeing it on the horizon as of yet. But, um, I'm still, I'm still hoping and praying as well, and I still believe that arts have its own power as a, to help in many parts of our lives, so why not let's stick with that and, uh, until that other day comes? Because uh, sooner or later we're going to be called to the front for this sort of thing. And uh, yeah, well, as, as artists, we should be we should be ready to speak uh, what, what we know to be the truth. Well, thankfully, at least the national discussion has begun on it, so it's a start. And and, and I agree. Don, I want to thank you very, very much for being on the show, uh, and thank you for uh, helping me navigate a couple of the technical issues we had. Nothing like last time. This will be easy to fix now. <laughs> but I've had some bad weather over here, and, of course, I've had a child that uh, uh, thinks that you can reboot the computer and it's not going to affect the show. That's based on the computer. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to instruct you a little bit more on how this works. <laughs> I promise. But um yeah. Okay. It, it was more than the well, lightning. Think, we really got a chance to cover a lot of ground and, and of course, a lot of your work. And, and I really appreciate you, you sharing all that on, on, on a Sunday morning for you anyway. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. It's always a pleasure talking with you. 
And, uh, I think you're doing a great job, you know, I really, really love and appreciate what you're doing, especially for uh, a lot of artists out there that are just, just, uh, just trying to break in and be heard. And I think you give people an opportunity to do that. That's, that's really that's really what it's all about, and and I just continue to try to do that the best uh, the best that I can. Uh, is there a better way? Maybe I don't know it, but uh, I I know there's a worse way, and I try to stay away from those things. So try to find, ironically, the middle ground on doing something like this, and, and still keep my own art and, and my own humanity. So as long as I can do all of that, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Then, and I think I found enough of a mix yeah, to, to feel comfortable. Yeah, I think sometimes the best you can do is just avoid the obviously bad, you know. So. <laughs> I, I, I definitely uh, agree. All right, uh, uh, Donna. Until next time, thank you very much for for, for joining All us right. here on on, on Strength to thank Be you. Human, folks. Uh, thank you again for your support, for listening, for your emails. Uh, you guys are, have been extremely supportive of, of Don. I mean, he's only on his third column, and I mean, he's already eclipsing the rest of us. So. Yeah, he might be the editor in chief when the way this is going, <laughs> but uh, we're really happy that to to, uh, to have him and have him on the show and to continue all of our journey into the arts and and how we could find some of the truths in in, in life that might also enrich us and and possibly in, in, enrich others. All right, folks. Until next time, God bless. This is Mark Anthony Rossi. Strength to be human. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com. <laughs>